It's a trap! Hello and welcome to Radio TCX. I'm Tim Dugan and I'm joined as always by my co-host Carson Ray. Hey everybody, doesn't matter how much time's left on the clock, it's always a great time to talk about some X-Wing. A very exciting week uh, here, both for the podcast and I think for the United States as a nation here with uh, Team USA in the X-Wing Team Championships uh, coming away with a winning record for their first week competing in the XTC. Yeah, uh, for those of you who don't know, this is like the biggest uh, sporting or gaming event that the U.S. participates in as a country. <laughs> uh, and, and it just started this past week. And so everybody, the whole, the whole nation is just a buzz with chatter about the X-Wing Team Championship. So we thought we'd chime in. Yeah, and, and Carson had, uh, well, I mean, all of Team USA had some pretty exciting games uh, during the week, but Carson's game was also very exciting, so we're going to chat about that, uh, look into some of the decisive turns there, and we can get some explanation from Carson from what was going on. Don't worry, it won't be too battle reporty because we don't do that on this show. We'll also talk just a little bit about the XTC, so everyone has a shared idea here, because we're going to be giving periodic updates throughout the summer as the event goes on, and hopefully Team USA continues its winning streak. I thought it would be good, though, just for everyone listening who hasn't been able to keep up to date or didn't know about the uh, X-Wing Team Championships, or XTC, as we're going to call it. Um, Carson, since you have the best knowledge since you're participating in it, can you explain a little bit, just real quick, how the event's working? Yeah, so the XTC, or X-Wing Team Championship, split off of the European Team Championship, which is a big um, European miniatures um, competition where it's always team-focused, uh, and there was a lot of different games. I think Warhammer is one of the bigger ones there. Um, but X-Wing has been a part of that for a while. And then um, in 2019, split off into the, just their own thing, the X-Wing Team Championship. And that's where they first had a f- little bit of uh, more international teams, so not just European teams. Uh, USA competed in that one, did okay. Um, and now, so it's going to be played on Tabletop Simulator this year. It's really become very international we have teams from all over the world 38 teams competing uh and it it's awesome it feels i think the best description is like the world cup um but they're playing x-wing and i think the fact that it's on tabletop simulator is a huge boon because you know suddenly if you're trying to get the best players um there's a lot of other factors that are going to go into that right if you're having actual an actual physical event in one country it's going to be limited by okay can the players get there are able are they able to finance the trip whereas if you're having it on tabletop simulator that takes a lot of that expense out where they can you know just focus on playing the games Granted, not in person as we'd all like to be playing, but um, this is a great opportunity. And I think they probably got some of the best participation they'll ever get because of that. Right. Suddenly we see like South America competing with like a pretty substantial showing there. Uh, And and so that's really exciting to have them kind of join the international stage there. Of course, we also have Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Philippines all joining, you know, South Africa is competing like this is very international and it just makes it really cool. So you have seven players on each team plus a few substitutes. So each team is playing with their seven players, all seven factions. So each person is in charge of one faction and there's a cool pairing process with that for each round. 
Yeah, and I don't even get, understand the full details, but I, I did see the uh, USA one that was streamed live, um, which is pretty cool because basically, like, they both put teams out face down, and then they have to decide which team to defend with, kind of like a game within the game, which is pretty cool. Um, and Carson, you were the first one paired during the pairings, right? Because I, I think our our team captain Marcel from Gold Squadron in Chicago threw threw you out right away. So there was not like there was not a whole lot of decision making about who you were going to get paired with on our side. Right. And so on the defense side, you get a lot more control about um, setting up those matches. On the offense side, you're kind of being thrown to the wolves, especially on the opening um, attack one, which is where I was. And so, you know, it's kind of some give and take, like, you know, maybe you get a bad matchup there to create some better matchups for your other team members. And and so in each of these weeks, right, one team's going head to head with another seven games are being played. and so the captains are kind of doing that matchmaking and all you have to do to win as a team is win at least four out of those seven games. And so it's okay. If you have a few bad matchups, you just need to make sure your other, you know, four or five are, are winnable. Yeah. And there, there's uh eight teams in each group actually except ours, I guess, cause there was a, a buy round for Spain, but uh, most of the groups have eight teams in it. So um, they're going to play and there's only going to be two teams emerging from each group going into the, into the next round. So this is a huge moment here for us to win this first one and also to win with a really strong record because I believe the uh, the individual match win record is a tiebreaker that could come into consideration later. Right. Well, because it's a round robin style, like there's a lot of chances to have the same, you know, total team win record. And so those individual games do add up, you know, just to make sure you get out of the group stage still. Um, so top two teams in each group advance into the final weekend. Um, and that's going to be, you know, really tough for like a lot of these groups there's a lot of good teams in each group and just you know being in the top half is going to be a tough feat it was interesting to look too at the uh the different groups there because there are uh five groups a through e nate labeled and um some of them uh, were the countries would win decisively and then some that were really actually close because you look over at like group a and poland italy brazil and singapore all won with fairly decisive records which is not surprising too because going into that poland and italy were the top seeded uh country so not a huge shock there that they'd have strong wins and i am not surprised that brazil and singapore put up strong showings i think they're they're my favorites in, in group a sorry poland <laughs> take that uh, i'll always i'll always vote for xy though i want him to win over on the group B side, though, is a little more mixed there, where uh, Germany, Peru, Iceland, and Scotland all won, but the games were a little closer there with Germany and Iceland both only winning out of the round with a 4-3 and three record against Lithuania and South Africa, respectively. Well, and the, the Germany 4-3, you know, narrow win against Lithuania was really surprising. So in each of these groups, like how they're formed is it's kind of a controlled random um, based off the scorings from the 2019 um, X-Wing Team Championship, there was some kind of power protection. And so like the top five teams um, placing at the 2019 event were each put into the five different groups. And then the six through 10 teams were also separate into different groups. And so Germany was one of those top seed teams and they've always been a top seed team, I think, um, you know, placing, I think on like top three, like every year at the XTC. Um, and so to just have a narrow win in week one from Germany is kind of surprising. It, it's actually really surprising. Not shocking, though, looking over at uh, Group C, though, to see England having a pretty decisive win against Colombia, 6-1. to A lot of strong players in England. 
yeah, and group C is kind of interesting. So going back to how the groups are made, right? So you have the top two seeds, a first seed team and a second seed team in the groups. And then the rest of the teams are kind of broken up into regions. So you're not really, you know, playing your neighbors as much. Uh, but for some reason that didn't quite work out for Great Britain and Ireland countries because we have, yeah, England, Ireland, Wales, all in that same group there. I mean, plus Canada, which I still consider part of England. Yeah, and also kind of surprising, Canada lost um, that first week. Tight margin, though, against Croatia. Croatia only took it with a, a 4-3 and three record. Folk, looking over at Group D, though, which is where uh, I, I think uh, the USA's attention is right now, obviously, because that is where we're playing. We were paired up against Sweden. I like to say we, too, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim the victory along with the rest of the players, actual players on Team USA. Um, going That's six how it works. One, yeah. It it looks more decisive than it is, though, because I feel like about half of the games were kind of decided in those last couple turns. Where that or like kind of the be- last turn in like <laughs> five of those games. It's become uh, a trope of our winning and probably for the rest of the uh, the event, too. I bet it'll just be those those last two turns are really what decide things. So don't uh, don't count USA out until you get to that last final shot. Yeah, this is a tough group. If I remember correctly, Spain's the defending champion um, and it's done well like every year in the XCC as well. So they had a first round buy. So we don't really have any information on Spain right now. They're nice and rested up. Probably got a lot of practice against their week two opponent ready to make a strong start. Um, then we also have Australia and Chile, um, Chile beating Australia for three. A lot of great players from Australia, a lot of great players from Chile. And then, I mean, USA, we're okay. Uh, <laughs> we're doing all right. I mean, Sweden has fantastic players as well. So like there's so many teams, um, that could absolutely, um, go very far in this tournament here in group D. And, and so like any week, like, you know, you could lose. And, and so getting that week one win, especially against Sweden, like I think one of the the tougher teams in this group, like that was, that was really exciting. Yeah. I think it's just a good momentum to start on there going into the next week's round. Cause now I feel like there's a lot of good energy from team USA. Um, and I think that does impact performance later on, because if it would have been like the opposite there, right. Going one and six, that's going to be suddenly you're a lot more on the defensive there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think if the, the games went 70 minutes, like that's probably a five, two win for Sweden. And I, I think Sweden could definitely still make it out of this group stage, uh, perhaps still in first too. Like, you know, there is a lot of games still to be played. And, and so a week one loss, it's not the end of the world. It's nice to start ahead. makes, you know, gives you a little bit of breathing room, but there is still a lot of tournament left. And then lastly here, looking at uh, Group E, they also have a seven-country pod group there, so the Netherlands had a bye. Uh, this one was interesting, though, because uh, Japan, France, and Mexico all won their matchups, but with all pretty tight margins of just four to three against uh, Switzerland, Denmark, and Serbia, respectively. Yeah. Um, Shout-out to Mexico getting that Week 1 win. Got to shout-out our neighbors when we can. And then, I guess, also sort of... Uh, Japan, who happens to have some semi-American players uh, competing with them. So shout out to them. Uh, Let's get down, though, looking into... um, I want to talk about your game, Carson, because I feel like... Well, it's not just for your game. I feel like it's all of USA. We were joking around the 
the meme of I didn't hear no bell being the slogan for Team USA because your game was looking pretty rough for you right down into that last turn. Yeah, and and like this was a really exciting game because there was a lot of back and forth. I'd create an advantage um, and then Nicholas would really quickly take it away. I'm um, just really moving that pendulum back and forth as who has the advantage um, through most of the game. And, and so just want to start off with just a huge shout out to Nicholas God. He played phenomenally. Um, every time I thought, okay, I got this. I've created a little advantage. Now I can um, be in control. He would quickly take it away. Um, and there's a lot of times where I called wrong and he had the right maneuver dialed in and I did not. Um, and things got a little awkward. Um, and you know, when you're playing at this top level, that, uh, maybe seems a little subtle. Um, but it was very clear to me during that game that he, he, he knew everything, um, to do and was making sure it was happening. And his list is awesome. Yeah. Well, let's go over the list here real quick. Um, so we've talked about your list uh, previously, Carson. Do you just want to go over the contents of it so we have a reference point here? Yeah, I mean, it's Poe, pretty standard, just R4, heroic. Um, Jess Pava, she's got BB Astromex. That's kind of a big spend there. And then Rose Tico with 3PO and Lulo Lampar with just that Lone Wolf upgrade. It's all Lulo needed. It's all you just need. Just Lone Wolf and one hit point, and he's Gosh, fine. Give me, give me Lone Wolf and hyperspace, guys. <laughs> we need it. Looking over at Nicholas' list, though, he also has a very interesting scum list here. So this one comes in at 199 points. He's got Polyb Godalhi with Zam Wessel and Moldy Crow. Zam Wessel obviously being a newer upgrade card, uh, which allows you to shoot twice, which um, there's some interesting setup in this list. We also see Captain Jostero. Um, no upgrades on Jostero, but Jostero, of course, can, with the pilot ability, take an extra attack against a ship that suffers non-attack damage. Right. Then Jostero's get... upgrade card is the Tirani Kolda pilot uh, <laughs> right. coming next here. Uh, Tirani Kolda, of course, in the M12L Kimagila uh, with cluster missiles, munitions failsafe, and R5TK, which is a zero-cost astromech. Um, and we can kind of break this down here in a minute, too. Tarani's ability, of course, apart from having the inherent um, ability to not let defenders spend tokens while they're shooting in bullseye, uh, Tarani can also, after attacking, force each ship in their bullseye to spend a green token or suffer a damage, which is a great trigger for Captain Jostero. And then closing out this list, I think the real MVP, the just standard generic Black Sun Enforcer Star Viper at 45 points. This thing is a monster, and it's kind of unassuming because it's got the lowest initiative and kind of the least least amount of elements to it, right? No pilot ability, no upgrades. Yeah. How many of my shifts did that Black Sun Enforcer <laughs> kill? Almost all of them. Well, let's break this down. So there's some synergies here that we want to break down that are really important. So, And, and this was funny because as we kind of practiced, you and I actually got an opportunity to practice with this list beforehand, and you've played against a few people flying it. You even flew it yourself, which was a fun practice technique. Um, this list with four ships has the opportunity to shoot theoretically seven times in a round. So let's break that down here real quick. So um, what ties together all the shooting abilities here is Tarani Kulda. So Tarani having cluster missiles is obviously just a built-in way to perform multiple attacks in a round. This is great because if you perform each attack with cluster missiles, that means you'll get two trigger on Tarani Kulda's pilot ability. So if you shoot twice, if there's an enemy in your bullseye, they're going to take that Tarani ability twice and either have to spend a green token or take a damage. Which means right. if they have a green token for the first one, they probably won't for the second one. 
Right. And so then if they take a damage from Tarani's ability, well, then Captain Jostero gets to activate and take an extra attack. Um, so now we're up to four attacks. And then we have Paulo Gadalihi with that um, new Zam Wessel crew card that, you know, Zam is all over the Separatist faction and rightfully so all over the Scum faction. That Zam crew uh, really given um, some new power to the Scum. And we see it here on Polyb, you know, getting that double shot with the Zam crew. Polyb's a great choice for this because with that Moldy Crow title, plus his ability to steal some extra mods, these are going to be really well modified double attacks, which that's substantial. Well, and there's also the built-in synergy too. If Polyb is stealing green tokens, that means if he steals from someone that Tarani has in Bullseye, they're not going to have a green token to spend to cancel the damage. And then the last attack, of course, comes from that Black Sun Enforcer, who is, yeah, just the silent all-star of the list. And so the funny part was, the first time I played this list, I did not fully understand all the synergies going on. Um, and the big one I missed out on was the R5-TK interaction, because at first I looked at that and I just saw, oh, it's a zero-cost astromech. They're throwing it on there like everyone throws jamming beam on an X-wing and they, you know, T-70 X-wing and they never use it. Um, R5-TK allows you to attack friendly ships. What I did not understand is that's actually vitally important to the way this list works. Yeah, generally, um, shooting your own ships is not great. Um, you know, even if it's not a, you know, great attack, there's still a chance, right? You could blink out on defense dice and, um, but if you have munitions fail safe, well, then there's zero risk. You just get to cancel that whole attack roll, regain your charge. Um, and this is important for really one particular reason, but also kind of a second one as well. So that first reason is, well, Zam Wessel procs when anybody shoots you. Um, and so you get that flip plus their, you know, when you defend trigger to regain those charges. Yeah, so and we're not going to go into because it's actually kind of complicated text. We're not going to talk about the Zam Wessel condition, but you you just have to know you assign it at the start of uh, each system phase. And one of the conditions that you'll assign early on when you're doing this interaction is one where after Zam after the ship Zam Wessel's on defends, it gets one of the two charges it needs back in order for it to do the extra shot. Right. This is the um, you should thank me. Yeah. Condition one. So normally, if you were playing this without the interaction with R5-TK over on Tirani, you'd have to have your opponent shoot you multiple times to queue up the attack. Um, with this interaction with R5-TK, Tirani could take a lock on, on Polyb, shoot at Polyb with cluster missiles, cancel the attack dice with munitions and get the charge back, triggers the ability to get the charge back on Zam. So after two turns, you've got both charges you need to use the Zam Wessel attack. Which is great because you also kind of wanted to stall for two turns anyway to build up that focus bank with the Moldy Crow title. Um, so you build up your focuses and your charges all at the same time. The other thing that R5TK does is, you know, he can lock a friendly ship, you know, pre-combat and then fire one cluster missile at your friendly ship, you know, within range there, cancel that and then make that attack at another ship, you know, near near that friendly ship. So either, you know, locking the Black Sun Enforcer or Captain Jostera or something, throwing them into the fray. Well, why that's good is each attack from Tarani gets to proc that ability. And so, you know, you're just having that banked. You know, sometimes your opponent isn't quite in range to lock 
or Tarani bumps and you don't quite get that lock to cluster missile your opponent. Uh, so just having that, you know, it's a zero point mod. You already got two free Zam charges out of it. It's another little trick to get multiple Tarani triggers. A lot of cool things from that zero point astromech. <laughs> right. And then, you know, there's still weird tricks you can do too, like by locking on Polov and canceling that attack. The second cluster missiles attack, you don't need to have the lock. So it's kind of a way to cheat having a lock to get an attack in on range. There's a this this list is like the scummiest of scum lists, and I mean that in the best way possible, where all the abilities overlap. They all do really weird, janky things, and it's really hard to play against this list because if you make a mistake and that Tarani lines up the bullseye, uh, your ship is probably dead. Uh, well, and plus that um, that Black Sun Enforcer, man, Nicholas could make that thing dance. It was all over the board. It was you know one turn covering. Uh, protecting his flank, and then the next turn, really jumping right in, diving in with all the other ships to you know throw away to fire in there. Just really using that that bank barrel roll very well. This list does a great job too of messing with what your target priority should be because uh, I'd say the Black Sun Enforcer feels the most disconnected in terms of abilities from the other ship because it doesn't have any, so it's not vital to the other interactions. It is just a great efficient blocker for the points you pay, and it has three attack dice and three defense dice. So you know this thing's probably not going to die in one volley of fire. If you choose to focus on it, that means you're ignoring all the other ships that have interlocking abilities. So there's not a good answer here. Um, and you'll see kind of what uh, Nicholas did in the game was he knows Carson's not going to go for the Black Sun Enforcer, which means that that thing's free to do what it wants multiple turns in a row. Just take the focus, take the shot. You're eventually going to do damage with three dice. Right. I mean, I had pretty clear target priority in that game. And I got down to what I thought was a pretty good game state where I'd lost um, Rose and Poe but I eliminated both Tarani and Palop, you know, which were the big sources of the list power. And I thought, okay, this is a pretty good game state. I think Jess and Lulo were both down like one shield. And I was like, I think I'm doing pretty good right now. He's just got, you know, at that point, Jostero's a basic Kyrax, right? It doesn't have that special ability because Tarani's not there to proc it. Um, and then an I2 Black Sun Enforcer, which like Jess moves after, this should be fine. Yeah, and I, I will say uh, one of the reasons I think this is one of the gr great games of X-Wing I've seen played on the stream by both you and Nicholas is that I think you both played it very technically well where you understood what your priorities were and you played to them. Uh, Nicholas doing a great job of getting good time on target with even a little bit of an initiative disadvantage. Um, he got a lot of guns on you, which was clutch. He knew going into that, obviously with your higher initiative, it's going to be harder to land the bullseye on ships like Lulo or Poe where they have the opportunity to reposition out of bullseye. Uh, but he did a good job and he laid down some serious damage right away. Obviously, over on your side, you know your priorities with uh, Tarani Kulda being kind of the connective tissue that combines all these abilities. Once Tarani's gone, you're better off because Jostero will no longer have a trigger for his ability, and things are going to be hollow, harder for Paula because um, he becomes kind of the offensive focus for the list. Um, so <laughs> you did a good job of you know prioritizing Tarani first, taking out Tarani, moving to the next biggest threat, Paula, taking out Paula. Uh, still came at a pretty steep cost, though. Yeah, Polub for Poe was rough. Yeah, that's a hard turn. Yeah, and I, I thought Poe was going to be able to get past um, the block he set up, uh, but he brought in multiple ships and cut off kind of all of my vectors there. I will say by the time we were reaching that midpoint where it was your Jess and Lulo versus the Jostero and Black Sun Enforcer, things were actually looking 
pretty good for you. I'd say that was the turn where you like had the advantage, and then it was those next couple turns where Jess takes unexpected damage through the obstacle and then dies in a pretty rough exchange with Blinded Pilot. Yeah, it's like even losing Jess there is fine, uh, but let's just trade some damage and, and having focus lock and not being able to spend any of it on offense, that was rough. So then things are looking rough, obviously, right? So you've got just Lulo left. You've got Jostero and Black Sun Enforcer, which I kind of discounted. I think I, this was a miscalculation I made looking at this list was I kind of figured, oh, Jostero's not that helpful once Tarani's gone because you're not getting the extra Jostero shot. Uh, I mean, having a like six hit point three attack dice ship that can do one white hard turns, that's actually really good. Yeah, and like at this point, the Star Viper's above the half point threshold just arrows untouched and so i'm down like 60 points um and don't really have like too much win conditions right i need to eliminate the star viper or um get half on tarani and the viper and don't lose um half on lulo unfortunately like those those turns of the kirax were pretty good and we're able to put really good pressure on lulo and i like couldn't quite get out of his arc every turn and he got a pretty tough shot and like Lulo didn't just get half Lulo went down to one health um, and I was still down 60 points and had like 10 minutes left and I, I thought it was over at that point I, th- I think a lot of people had discounted well because there's just not enough time left and I think that's uh, for people who haven't played a lot of like tournament X-Wing where the point values are really kind of the focus especially as you get into the later parts of the game um, that point differential was a big shift, right? So when it was don't lose half on Lulo and then just like take half on each, that's still doable given enough time, given enough rounds. When it gets down to, all right, I need to kill one of these and get half, and I only have a handful of turns left, like that was a huge shift. So even at that point, I thought I thought you were pretty much done. Like just because I knew statistically it was so hard for you to have as many successful attacks as you needed in the few turns you had left. But, you know, you're not just playing for yourself. Uh, playing for your whole team can't give up got to keep playing <laughs> yeah if there's any lesson to take away right it's like just play the game out as best you can right because you don't know what's gonna happen yeah and, and so like i did take a few turns to well one get out of this kirax that keeps attacking me um, but also set up um, some attacks where i felt like i actually had a chance um, because at one health any shot back is pretty good chance of just taking me out of the game completely and so i had to really pick and choose when i dived in yeah and i think that dive in was like i mean there were less than i think there were like close to five minutes left in the game which is just a couple couple turns there um but you dive in hard and you push in on the um black sun enforcer because you had a, a kind of a lucky opportunity where jostero um nicholas turned away with jostero so he wasn't shooting that round, which was like the perfect opportunity for you to blast in and get a really good shot on that Star Viper. Right. Well, that turn gave me the breathing room to actually like barrel roll out, rotate my arc for that turn to set up the following turn. And and I think that's something where even a few years before, like I might have just dived in that turn earlier and, and kind of having that that foresight to say, you know what, like we have a few more turns left here. I, I need to make each of these turns really count. But you push in hard, though. So taking that extra turn, you turn in hard, and you get a range one shot on the Star Viper. Um, but it's it's difficult because it has a focus token, and it's going to have a range one shot on you. So you're at a point where, with just three hit points remaining on it, you need to do the three damage and kill it, basically. 
Otherwise, it looks like it's going to get that last hit point off of Lulo. Um, and I, that was one of the more exciting dice rolls where you like you have your four dice, you've got all the mods you need, but you only end up with three hits on four dice. So we're looking at like, all right, well, if it have to be all blanks in order for the Star Viper to die. And who would have thought that's actually what would happen, though? The, the key to be really good at this game is to have your opponent blank out. Um, <laughs> that's our main takeaway. <laughs> if your opponent blinks out, that's great. It's better for you. No, that was, I mean, devastating, too, for Nicholas at that turn. Yeah, he played such a game, and then, oh, a blank out, and then just... Suddenly, I'm in it. I'm still not there yet. Um, following turn, able to half that that Kyrax, Um And then, unfortunately, there's, like, one more turn left in the game. It's like, okay, I'm up, uh, but I still have to survive one more turn. And, like, I, I thought he was going to chase me running away because that seemed like the obvious thing to do. Uh, so I turned the other way and he talent rolled for that. And we had one more dice exchange where my heart was racing way too much. Um, and it worked out. Well, right. I mean, and that's an exciting turn. And I want to ask you about your decision process for this one, too. So we get into this last turn here um, and you get into a position, right? So the ships move. His just arrow moves first. So, you know, he's going to have a shot on you. And you get to the decision point. So you've got your rear arc set. So you're going to get a shot on him. You have the option of um, taking the mods, right? And then not stressing Lulo. So you have your full defense. So you'd be a range two with a focus and a reroll on defense. Um, and you just have to not take any damage from a naked three attack dice shot. Well, actually, it's a two attack dice. He has a weapons failure at Ooh, this point. E- okay, so even better. So you just have that. You don't have to take any damage from a unmodified two attack dice shot and you'll win. But instead, you opt to get the token, stress out, and attack and spend your reroll. So uh, I feel like a lot of people would lean towards playing defensively there. Why did you go for the kill on the two hit point, Jostero? Well, um, stressing to boost into range three is actually not a like. There's no downside to it because I was rolling three green dice anyway. Um, And so I get focus and three green dice regardless of his shot. Um, but if I'm stressed, well, now I get to roll an extra red die and, you know, red die <laughs> tend to be better than green dice. So um, that that decision is is pretty straightforward, but spending some mods on offense is maybe a little less defensible. Uh, I spent my lone wolf reroll to hit to get to three hits with that attack. Um, and, and there's an argument to say just save all the mods for defense, the focus and the reroll. But I kind of like to spread my chances out, right? If I get him deal two damage in that shot, well, that that seals the game or, you know, having some defense there also gives me the game. I feel like two chances is better than going all in on one. And okay, so I get that, right? So I could be wrong. I didn't I didn't actually do the math on this one. I forgot to. We should actually do the math on that. But I guess if what you're saying is true, it's kind of like the the chance of surviving the shot the way you decided you made your chances of surviving it lower but you added an extra chance to win the game by attacking. So, like, that probably balances out. That's an interesting math decision, too, because it's not just one decision, right? It's the success of one is dependent on the other. Yeah, and and I guess we did get very battle reppy on this, so apology, (laughs) listeners. I think it was still sub-eight minutes. I think we covered the interesting parts. Um, Go watch the game. It's really fun. I actually would for people who want to see a really great game. The casters did a really great job, They did, too. too. (laughs) Huge shout-out to those guys. Um, we'll see if they'll let us uh, borrow the video and we can 
we can maybe do a, an actual breakdown of it. Um, no, it was an exciting game, though, and we'll, uh, I think we shared the link before. I'll share it again, though, when we post this episode. Uh, definitely check it out. It's a really great game of X-Wing. Even if you just skim through it to look at the major turns, um, there's a lot you can learn about the approaches here and their target priorities. Uh, it was a really awesome game. All right, so Carson, how are you feeling uh, going into the next set of games here? I believe this week USA is playing Hungary. Uh, I feel you know pretty confident, not just in, in myself, but in the team. Um, you know, kind of watch a lot of great games. Uh, Team USA played last week, and so um, shout out to Marcel uh, for putting together a great team. And yeah, just shout out to everyone on Team USA. I think we got this. Um, yeah, we're playing Hungary this week. Hungary won last week, um, but I, I think we got them. Uh, hopefully, Team USA can go the distance here because if they do, the XTC finale, uh, the finals will be played one weekend. I believe it's the last weekend in August. So we're we're rooting for you, Carson. You're representing us all here, and uh, we're excited to see how far Team USA can take it. Um, we will, of course, since Carson's on the team, we'll be giving updates periodically throughout the summer as to how things are going in the XTC. But uh, really interesting game. So definitely check out Carson's game against Nicholas God on YouTube. We'll share that link. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Radio TCX. If you like the show, please go on to facebook.com slash Radio TCX and like our Facebook page. And if you enjoyed the show, be sure to go on to iTunes, leaving a five-star review saying what you like about the show and why others should listen. And if you want to support the show directly, please go on to patreon.com slash Radio TCX and become a supporter today. We really appreciate everyone who supports us. Again, folks, thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you next week. And good luck, Team USA. USA, USA, USA. <laughs>